Hi there, my name's Ushin Nunny and welcome to Audio Talks, presented to you by Harman. And in this episode, we dive into the power of music, culture and poetry. And I'm honoured to be joined by two people at the forefront of modern Irish culture and what it all means on the global stage. Welcome to the podcast, author, daily poetry tweeter and the Irish ambassador to the USA, Dan Mulhall. It's great to be here, Ushin. Thank you for the invitation. Thanks so much for joining us, Dan. And DJ, musician and founding member of the Irish cultural collective Sim Sima, Tyg Byrne. Welcome, Tyg. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Awesome. Thank you both so much for joining us. Uh, so let's start at the beginning, literally. I would love for you both to share your earliest memory of what we now understand to be culture. And we'll start with your good self, Dan. Yes, I was thinking about this and uh, we didn't have the opportunities to... Um, to sort of absorb uh, culture in the way that people do now with the yeah. resources of the internet and, and most of our cities and towns in Ireland now have some kind of local um, theatre that uh, people have access to. That wasn't the case when I was growing up in Waterford. Yeah. So my first um, um, exposure really to culture was um, listening to um, Radio Luxembourg uh, in days when that was the only source of, of pop and rock music available to people like myself. I can tell you, how important music was to us, to my counterparts and I, my contemporaries and I in um, Mount Zion Christian Brothers School in Waterford in the uh, 1960s when we were absolutely um, astonished and just our eyes were open, our worlds changed when we heard the sort of music of the 60s, the Beatles and Bob Dylan and so forth. And that was really what uh, kind of first energized me and to make me understand that that culture was a way of, of accessing uh, the wider world beyond your, you know, the world you could see around you. And so that was, and then of course at school, um, I, I was, uh, I was into amateur dramatics and I remember taking part in a number of school plays, uh, both in Irish and English, and then going yeah. away to, um, to theater festivals around the country where you had to strut your stuff on stages in drafty parish halls in different parts of uh, Munster and South Leinster. So those are my first uh, exposures to the world of what we would call in inverted commas culture. Oh, fantastic. I'm looking forward to your autobiography when it comes out. That's, <laughs> that just sets the scene perfectly. Uh, and Tyg, how about yourself? Where, how would the book of Tyg start in terms of culture? I was trying to feel like if this if this makes sense, but when I was very young, I, I, I was I was born in London originally, and yeah. I think this is arguably it's not a memory, but it's sort of what was there when I was a baby. Because I I'm not sure how much you really remember when you're a child that that early. So sure, uh, but I used to get taken around to festivals in Hyde Park because I, I was born in Crouch End in North London, and a lot of uh, reggae and dancehall music would be around oh. me as a kid. It was something that I think I remember hearing, but it's not something that was vivid in, in, in my memory. But then I moved to Ireland when I was two. Uh, so one and a half actually. And really, I think the first real memory I have is actually traveling around, uh, going on a couple of holidays earlier on with my parents. Uh, my dad is a self-employed architect. So his idea of a holiday always involved going to a monastery or to an old building, something that he knew that was, he was marking it out on the map as, as we would go. So wow. I was probably like four or five, just getting dragged to different places thinking, <laughs> 
what am I doing? <laughs> am I am I supposed to soak this in? How does it work? I wasn't even sure. You know, you're a kid. You don't know exactly what to do in that situation. And yeah. then obviously musically, I started at a young age. I was blessed to be in that position. And a lot of it was just uh, singing, playing violin, listening, dancing, doing stuff like that when I was younger. Great. And I think it, it was around me for such a long time. I never really understood what it was until much, much later in my life. I think it yeah. was just kind of there. It was something I never was able to go, oh, this is this is culture. You know, you don't yes. think like that when you're a kid, but there was a, a lot that was probably, I was soaking up like a sponge, I think, before I even realized it. Yeah, totally. I love it. Well, it's obvious that you were both steeped in many different kinds of culture growing up and, and, and music was a huge element of both of your upbringings, which is wonderful. Um, I mean, coming over to yourself, Dan, what do you think the role of music, poetry and culture has been in terms of defining what it means to be Irish? Well, I think very important. Uh, my definition of uh, culture is that it's the, the stories we tell ourselves and we tell others. So what I mean by that is, even if you think of the visual arts, they're telling a story. A dance, river dance tells a story. Um, every form of culture that you can think of tells a story. Obviously that applies to novels and poems and plays. Um, so for me at least, um, it's very important that we access knowledge of ourselves through the work of writers that that tell us things about ourselves that we wouldn't otherwise have noticed because when you live your daily life, you don't notice these things. And therefore the writer's role is to, to be the professional who notices the things that other people wouldn't pick up and then puts them into a form that can then be accessed by others, uh, both in Ireland and around the world. And so I think that um, my experience has been that um, all over the world, the knowledge of Ireland is greatly increased by the fact that we happen to have writers of extraordinary ability, both in the past and today as well. And if you go to a bookshop anywhere in the world where English language books are, are available, you will find books by Irish authors. And this means that we have ambassadors to the world of readers that are authors, writers, poets, dramatists who who project images of Ireland around the world. Now, we may not always approve of the images that are, are, that are projected, but I, my view is that everything that speaks of Ireland is of value to us because it, it counters the default fate of a small country like ours, which is to be ignored. And one of the reasons why we can't be ignored in the way that a 5 million population state uh, might be is because we have, first of all, a large diaspora around the world that makes a bit of noise on our behalf. And secondly, that we have a very strong cultural offering in terms of literature, music, song and dance. Absolutely. And you were speaking there about the role of Irish writers, Irish musicians and poets on the global stage to, to really help spread awareness and help define what it means to be Irish today. And Ty, coming over to yourself, I mean, you've gone to Iceland, you've been to many countries. What do you think is the role of culture in terms of defining how people see Ireland and defining what it means to be Irish today? It's interesting. For I think for Irish culture, particularly like you're saying, Dan, as a, as a small country that punches above its weight in many other ways outside of just its economical power, I think it's probably the most important thing we have to create those images and those narratives about 
Irish people and what we do and to really tell the listener or, or the person watching us to for them to see a full person, a full society that's not just one kind of Irish. I think that's really exciting, especially for modern Irish music, dance, drama, literature, that, that, that freedom to be completely and totally yourself abroad, to let people see that is, is exciting the same way if I go there and I see something that absolutely takes my breath away. If I saw, if I was in Iceland and I see something that just destroys my previous conception of what I thought Iceland culture was about, you know? Yeah. I think that's where it gets really exciting. And I think more so than, I, I, I put sporting cultural into the same box in that category because I, I really think that has the power to change anything in the world, probably the entire world, if I'm going to be kind of oh. dra- dramatic about it. But I think that might be like one of the most important tools there is to make someone think differently about a place or a culture or a person. You know, you mentioned earlier when you were growing up, there was, you know, reggae sound systems, mm. you were visiting monetary, monasteries, excuse me. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it, you know, it was pretty diverse, but like that, that, that was very sense. much of, of its time, you know. Um, do you think the Irish culture and how people see Irish culture has changed since those days for you, since those early days? It's certainly changed in a lot of ways. Well, not that I really noticed it too much when I was younger, thinking something yeah. needs to change. But as yeah. you get older, you start to look outside a lot more and you try to figure out who you are as a total person. And I think growing up sometimes in Ireland, I wasn't always sure if there was that importance placed on culture the same way it should be, or perhaps it is more now. Um, Certainly when I was growing up, I was unsure whether I was fitting into a certain kind of box if I didn't play. For example, I'm I'm a violin player. I play traditional music. I play classical music. I play jazz music. I, I love to play. I love to experiment. I love to try everything. Yeah. But when I was growing up, I wasn't sure if I was allowed to be in trad circles the same way that I would be accepted now if I entered those traditional music circles. Sure. And and trying to figure out, if is that me? Am I different? Am I not Irish, quote unquote Irish enough? Or do I need to just get to a, a place where I feel that people are now accepting that and then deciding to say that you are part of this and, and the circle itself has just expanded. How interesting. That's really fascinating. Thank you, Tyg. And, and uh, Dan, talk to us a bit about how, you know, you kind of mentioned studying at Christian Brothers and then you tread the boards and, you know, you have traveled the world in your role as ambassador. Now, how has the concept of Irish culture as you see it and as it's reflected back to you, how do you think it's changed since those early days? Oh, it's changed enormously and... Mm. For me, at least, um, I'm excited by the way in which Ireland has changed over the, the course of my four decades in the uh, diplomatic service. I think we're, uh, of course, some things have been lost undoubtedly, but I think overall we're a better, more open, more tolerant, more outward looking society than we were when I was growing up. And I think our our culture has to express that, has to articulate that. And that's why I'm Delighted to see, for example, Ruth Nega is currently uh, performing on the stage on Broadway. Um, uh, I met Emma Dabiri 
uh, at Villanova University uh, when I was there a couple of weeks ago in Philadelphia. She's a visiting writer there, wonderful person. So we're now seeing people out there that are maybe making Americans go, hey, I didn't know that about Ireland. I didn't know. Because, I mean, when I talk to people here, when I mention the fact that um, 16% of our population now were not born in Ireland, you can hear the intake of breath on the part of Irish Americans who perhaps, some of them at least, have an image of Ireland that's maybe a little out of date. I'm fine with that. I think people um, have to relate to our country in, in, in different ways. And if it's a quiet man, then that's fine by me. Uh, but the job, my job as, a, as ambassador and the job of diplomats generally is to kind of update, to con- continually, um, you know, update the software and um, make people more aware of contemporary Ireland and the, the values and the performance of contemporary Ireland, which is at least in part expressed through a dynamic and diverse cultural offering around the world. Well said. I love that idea of updating the software, you know, kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that's a, a, as good a definition of uh, the role of ambassador as I've heard. That's brilliant. Dan, you are prolific on social media. You have been sharing a poem on your social media feed every single day for as long as I can remember. It's many, many years. Seven years now, yeah. Seven, Seven years. years. Yeah. Wow. wow. Every single day. I haven't missed a single day. Even when I'm on holidays, I I bring an anthology with me and I manage to find a place where I can, where I can tweet. So uh, there's always one tweet on my social media account at Daniel Hall, and that is my daily poetry tweets. You know what I found is that, especially during the pandemic, Hmm. when I went on and when I put in hashtag poetry, I found that some, quite often, the the word poetry was trending on Twitter. Mm, Imagine that. And I I think the reason for that is, is quite easy in a way uh, to fathom. It's that people were in this terrible situation. They were locked down. They weren't able to do the things they normally do in their daily lives. They were separated from family and friends and not able to have the normal social interaction that's uh, the spice of life. And therefore they turned, they were looking for consolation. Now, some people probably got it from learning how to bake bread, Um, but (laughs) certainly some people, a lot of people seem to have turned to poetry. And yeah. I started in, in uh, the early part of 2020, just in the opening months of the pandemic. I started, in addition to my daily poetry tweets, I started tweeting a recording of myself reading an Irish poem. And sometimes I got 10,000, nice. 20,000 people oh, viewing my uh, recording of a poem. And I was very careful to choose poems that were uplifting because I felt at that time, people had enough things in the world to worry about and they needed to be uplifted. And the poetry that I put out on my Twitter account and on my Facebook account was um, designed to be uplifting, designed to counter the kind of troubles of the world by offering images from Irish poets that were somehow uh, able to to point to a, a better world, a better future, a better opportunity for all to emerge from this pandemic. And I remember at one stage tweeting or uh, you know, doing a recording of Derek Mann's poem, Everything is Going to Be All Right. Oh, right. And it seemed to me oh. a perfect poem for the moment. And I remember Very that good. got that got so many retweets and got so much uh, approval on Twitter. So I found that people really want me to continue this. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'll be stepping down as ambassador in August of next of this year and retiring from the foreign service and uh, going on to teach at NYU for some time and then oh. going to Cambridge. And people are saying to me already, wow. I hope you're going to continue with your poetry tweets. And I said, yes, I will. For as long as there's a Twitter. <laughs> Absolutely. As long as there's a Dan Mulhall. 
I hope that we will uh, be able yes. to come together in order yes. to have a platform for my daily poetry tweets. <laughs> oh, outstanding. And we are totally going to be linking to at Dan Mulhall in the show notes. So if you don't follow Dan so already, good. please get yourself over there. It is a treat every single day. This is one of many ways that Dan kind of weaves culture into his daily life. Uh, mm. I mean, if, if you were to look at, you know, a day, a week in the life of Tig, what role would you say that culture plays? I mean, I can imagine it's absolutely soaked in every day. You're involved in something cultural, but, you know, it'd be interesting to just to get a, a glimpse into your diary, as it were. I love how kind of bougie that sounds. Like every <laughs> every day I have to be, do something cultural. It's like, oh, yes, darling, absolutely. <laughs> um, I uh, suppose Billy, like it, on the on the worst kind of day, it's probably just uh, reading a book and then thinking like, right, this is important. That's good. But generally, I mean, a lot of, a lot of like what I do is obviously steeped in it where it, it kind sure. of I, I it runs me and I help to run it it really yeah. matters like that uh, a lot of it is always spent in studios working with artists either setting up a gig or yeah. performing at said gig it can really involve any any aspect of of music and a lot of it is just total encompassing I have to wear a lot of different hats but it feels like every day there's a new challenge that's brought up by it Oh, fantastic. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be coming back to some of your work. You're curating some great festivals this year, some stages, and, yes. and we'd love to know more about that. Dan, talk to us a bit about what is the role of culture in your life today? We've heard about your daily tweets, the stuff you're doing during the lockdown. It's very inspiring. It's bringing the best out of people, lifting people's spirits. Um, you know, but as ambassador, I, I can imagine that culture plays a very large role. It does, yes. And for example, next month I'll, I'll be doing a big Bloom's Day here to celebrate the mm. centenary of James Joyce's Ulysses. I'll Amazing. be doing um, Bloom's Day events in different parts of the United States in the, the, the days and weeks leading up to Bloom's Day. And this year, generally, I've been specializing in Ulysses because this is one of the big themes for our cultural program this year, Ulysses 100. There's also, of course, the uh, marking the centenary of the Irish state because I think that's maybe had little less attention than it deserves. But certainly here in America, I find an audience for um, uh, the story of Ireland for the last hundred years, the way in which, um, you know, finally after uh, a century or more of struggle, we managed to uh, secure um, our um, independence with the Irish Free State being established in 1922. And then the story of a hundred years of Irish yeah. independence is greatly of interest to Irish Americans because, of course, I remind them, and they know anyway, that their people, their ancestors contributed strongly to the bringing mm -hmm. about of Irish independence and they continue to be a major resource for us. So I, I, I listen to music every day. Um, I, I, I Never a day goes by without me... Um, logging onto my Spotify account. I discovered Spotify recently and I don't know if people <laughs> might, some of might, uh, might think it's a bit naff or it's a bit sort of, uh, it's a bit 20th century, but I find it uh, fascinating that I can kind of access all these uh, tunes that I, you know, I can just sort of put in an artist that I that I heard of but uh, didn't know much about and then you get a hundred songs by them and, and it changes your life in a way and you know, you, you come across, when you do your daily mix, you come across uh, songs and artists you never knew about, but they're somehow yeah. connected with the other artists that uh, you listen to, and then you kind of discover them. So I, I, I'm on a, I'm on a, I'm on a journey of discovery at the moment. To be honest with you, now I'm my, I mean my, my, you know, my taste will probably still be regarded by Tiger's dinosaur rock, I would say, you know, but uh, <laughs> but I have a child of the era in which I grew up in, where you know rock we music was are. extremely important to Irish people at that time. So we we were, so we haven't lost our 
our enthusiasm for it. But of course, I also grew up in, in you know in the era of Planksty when you know oh. Irish traditional music started to become of course. Uh, something that that younger people could um, could respond to. And, and I, I, I remember because I you know I had experience of the of the Kilfenora Kelly band. Nothing wrong with them; they were a fine group of musicians. Oh, yeah. But when you sort of compare them with Planksty or some of the mm-hmm. other uh, moving hearts that came out of that period, so I still look back on that as a kind of a golden age of uh, Irish music. And uh, and I've been watching the evolution of Irish music ever since. And it's fantastic now to see so many. And in America, you know, you meet people who have no connection with Ireland, but who play Irish music brilliantly, who do Irish uh, dancing yeah. brilliantly. Yeah, My best yeah, example yeah, yeah. recently is Morgan Bullock, who's a young African-American woman from Virginia. And she oh, yeah. she, and she, she became a, a big star on Instagram. I've seen in those videos. Extraordinary Irish, Irish dancing. And I think Riverdance recruited her in the end and she took part in their uh, tour of America uh, some months ago. So so that's that's the way in which we are we are changing and therefore, the way the world sees us is also changing. And that has to be a good thing for us and for the wider world that they can connect with uh, an Ireland that is, that is different and that is contemporary. And I always say to people here, the great thing about Ireland is that we have managed to embrace globalization. I know it may be a, a, a term that's coming under some pressure now, but we've embraced global culture while at the same time retaining our own native culture. And I always say to Americans or others when they visit Ireland, you can go to an Irish village and in one pub, you will hear good rock music. And in another pub, you'll hear a traditional music session. And that's Absolutely. Ireland. It's the combination yeah. of the two that makes our cultural offering unique in my experience. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and just staying with yourself for a moment, Dan, I mean, you spoke about this global Irish diaspora yep. and the fact that Ireland is very, you know, pluralistic. It's got tradition, it's got, yeah. you know, rock music, it's got all these new hybrids and, yep. you know, cultures meeting coming up, which is so exciting. Um, but in terms of defining Irish culture abroad, what do you think has been the role of the global Irish diaspora in, in actually kind of defining it? Well, it's been very important. And the best example I can give you is the fact that last year, the new Irish Arts Centre opened in Hell's Kitchen in uh, Manhattan and uh, an extraordinary uh, place. I was there for one of the opening sessions. Uh, Camilo Sullivan, my good friend Camilo Sullivan, uh, oh, performed nice. brilliantly. Uh, and it's now, it's a wonderful venue for Irish culture. And, and, it's, and it reflects the fact that the Irish in New York genuinely wanted to have this place where they could showcase Irish culture. And that's going to be an extraordinary venue for Irish artists for generations to come because this is a state-of-the-art venue. Mm. And the fact that they managed to raise the money for that, they got a lot of help from the Irish government, but they also managed to persuade the New York uh, City Council and the New York State government to put in significant funding, recognizing, that's a recognition on behalf of the state and the city of New York that Irish culture is part of the fabric of the Big Apple. And that's something Brilliant. quite special to uh, to think about. 100% for sure. That's such an exciting project and it's, it's great. It's getting all that support. By the way, we also have the Irish Rep Theatre in New York, which, which is a, wow. it's a, a permanent uh, theatre that, that performs really good stuff. And you've got other Irish cultural organisations like all over the United States. Wherever I go, you will come across a certain vibrancy. In San Francisco, they're hoping to build a similar uh, modern arts centre uh, for Ireland there as well. So, the great thing about our diaspora is that even though they are removed from Ireland by two, three, four generations, sometimes more than that, they continue to have an affection for their Irish heritage. They continue to have an yeah. affiliation with Ireland. They continue to admire what we do and they want to, uh, they want to showcase the culture that is part of who they are and where they came from. 
Amen. That's just phenomenal. I love it. And uh, Ty, coming over to yourself now, as Dan mentioned earlier, a lot of very brilliant people, like a significant percentage from all over the world, now call Ireland their home. Uh, What do you think has been their contribution in terms of coming into the country, you know, moving to Ireland and redefining what Irish music means today? I suppose uh, the first thing would be for for them to feel like it is a home. I think that's the first, the first, natural importance for you know Ireland to really live up to its uh, standard as the the land of a thousand welcomes you know there's obviously there's obviously racism here as there is everywhere else but yeah. I think something that should be always encouraged is to let um people make their home you know uh, the yes. same way the same way coming living in England or moving to Ireland the same way doing the same you gotta live here you have to fully be who you are here in this country and let that country serve for you. And then in turn, serve for that country as well and see just how exciting the possibilities can be over a lifetime of creating your work, expanding your culture, and then defining your identity through that culture in a new way, which I don't think any other, I mean, I think there's a few parallels you can look at, but Hmm. I think Ireland is in one of the most unique positions it's ever been in. Yeah, the economist David McWilliams writes beautifully about this in his his various publications like Renaissance Nation. Ireland is a uniquely global melting pot, but it makes a new Irish identity that's unique and kind of stronger. I I just uh, love his work Mm -hmm. along those lines. Dan, coming back to yourself, so you are undoubtedly a cultural ambassador for Ireland on the global stage. Talk to us a bit about the role of culture in your role as ambassador specifically. You see, I look at my role as having a number of different elements to it. The first is representing Ireland um, vis-a-vis the American administration. So talking to people in the administration, in the White House, in the State Department and in Congress to make sure they understand um, fully the things that matter to us and that they are helpful to us in that regard. And uh, Northern Ireland obviously is a major issue always uh, for us and EU membership and all of those things. And now Ukraine as well, of course. That's the first thing. Second thing is connecting with Irish America. And that is a very strong cultural component because a big part of what Irish America is, is that it's a, a community of people that feel a sense of Irishness and they express that sense of Irishness in their own way. Now, it may not be the way we yeah. would express Irishness, but we have to accept that because Irishness does not belong to Ireland exclusively. It, it, because it's a global right. phenomenon, it, it has different yes. representations yeah. and manifestations. Uh, and then, of course, wow. the other thing that's important uh, is what I call telling Ireland's story. Because yeah. as diplomats, we, we have a pulpit, we have a, you know, we have a soapbox. You know, we can get people to listen to us. We can get an audience uh, because yeah. of being an ambassador of Ireland, I can get an audience in the way I wouldn't get if I was just going there as a as an ordinary citizen. So you have to use that audience. You have to use that access in order to tell Ireland's story. And when you tell Ireland's story, a big part of it has to be through our culture because people have a natural interest in, for example, you know, Irish music, in Irish dance. I mean, I don't have to sell tickets to Riverdance, for example, at the Kennedy Center. I went there recently to see the performance along with the mm. Taoiseach. And Amazing. people went there. They paid their own money to get in to see an Irish cultural phenomenon in action. Yeah. So we have an enormous advantage in that way. I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't have to, you know, talk about Con Tobin. You know, his books talk for yeah. him. So, so yeah. it is true that when it comes to telling Ireland's story, 
we have a lot of um, allies. We have a lot of very powerful voices that are very effective in reaching audiences beyond the audience that I can reach as ambassador. But it's for me, at least, when I tell Ireland's story, a big part of my story is the story of Ireland's history and culture and the way that connects with the wider world, particularly through our diaspora in the United States. Mm. In addition to all of your work as the ambassador, to your cultural activity on social media, your daily poem, you recently published a fantastic book called Ulysses, A Reader's Odyssey. And this decodes all 18 episodes of James Joyce's canonical work. Amazing. Uh, it's, it's awesome. And it also provides a lot of very, you know, personal and funny insights. So Dan, what inspired you to embark on this book? Well, it, it goes back really to my time in India in the early 80s when I arrived there in this very faraway country in those days because, you know, it's a long way away from Ireland. Uh, you couldn't phone home. Uh, there was no internet. There was no TV in India. Your only yeah. connection with the outside world was um, BBC World Service, and your shortwave radio. So, but when I got to India, I discovered that people in India had a genuine interest in Ireland. And you wondered, well, why would that be? The reason was that they were inspired by our history and our mm. literature. Because yeah, yes. remember, India is and was then an English-speaking country, or at least yeah. very large numbers of highly educated people uh, read and conduct their lives through English. And therefore, yeah. our writers had an exposure in India that meant that we were not just an ordinary country of a few million people in this massive country with a billion people. We were a country that was associated with, first of all, our freedom struggle, which Indians looked to for inspiration when they were seeking to become independent yeah. from Britain in the 1940s. And remember, yeah. a lot of the people that I met in India in the 1980s had been around in the 1940s and had been part of that independence struggle, or at least remembered uh, the pre-independence period. So, but they also had a genuine affection for our literature. And I remember going to, at one stage, uh, a meeting or a conference of the All India English Teachers Conference. I gave a talk about Yeats and Joyce. There were 1,500 teachers from all over India at that conference. I remember afterwards oh. meeting a young woman from Assam. Now, Assam is a, a small state in the northeastern corner of India where the people are mountain people. Uh, they're a bit like the Nepalese and people like that, but they're, they're a very separate uh, ethnic and cultural grouping from those who live on the plains. The majority of Indians live on the plains and are, uh, and have a different religion, different uh, culture, different ethnicity, different race in some respects. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember this young woman saying to me, she was teaching a portrait of the arts as a young man to her students in Assam. Wild. And I remember thinking, hey, that's amazing. So all these years later, those memories come back to me. And I thought, well, um, what was the greatest Irish achievement, cultural achievement of the 20th century, the greatest individual achievement, James Joyce's Ulysses. And I thought for the centenary of the Irish state, which coincides with the centenary of James Joyce's great novel, I should try to put down on paper my experience of uh, traveling with this novel over the last uh, 40 plus years. And uh, that's, that, that was the genesis of uh, my book. I would probably never have finished it, but for the fact that the pandemic destroyed my social life overnight. <laughs> yeah. And I went from being out six nights a week uh, to being out zero nights a week for about six months. So that, that let me put a spurt on. I, I, I kind of started to, uh, to move Nicely. Uh, more quickly. So I, so, I, so I devoted myself not to making bread, but to making a book. So it was my coping stone uh, when, I was, uh, when I was here, uh, hunkered down in Washington, D.C., away from friends and family and not even able to have uh, face-to-face contact with colleagues. So there you are. Brilliant. Uh, every cloud has a silver lining. 
<laughs> Dan, I, I have to tell you, I did a I did a performance of one of the chapters of Joyce. I think it was chapter 13, the Nausicaa chapter. Oh, Nausicaa, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I did wow. a performance of that in the uh, the Museum of Literature in Ireland. Did you really? Spread, Wonderful. Uh, yeah. Only a few months ago, actually. Wonderful. With, uh, one of my friends, God knows, the rapper from Narrowline Collective with Denise Chyla. It was just a small reminder of just how powerful that book is for people. Yeah, it yeah, really was yeah, exciting. Yeah. Something doing there. Yeah, my favorite chapter is Cyclops, which is the kind of the chapter oh. which is so full of uh, wonderful <laughs> oh, yeah. dialogue and um, over-the-top characters and wonderful nice. language. And it's just a brilliant chapter. It also explores, of course, Irish history, which is part of what I am fascinated by alongside our literature. I see our literature and our history as kind of twin brothers or twin sisters, uh, mm. siblings, because I think they connect with each other in a very important way. Definitely, definitely. And folks, listeners, we will absolutely be linking to that book in the show notes. Uh, I can wholeheartedly recommend you get your hands on it. You will <laughs> not you. regret it. It's, it's just phenomenal. And uh, Ty, you just mentioned, of course, some of the great performance that you're doing. Um, mm. I think it would be cool for the listeners just to know a bit more about Sim Simma if they're not familiar with you already. For sure. And, uh, you know, if you could just outline what it is today and also... You know, what's the story been? Where, where did it start? Well, reggae dancehall is kind of the start. As a, as a teenager, I became a really big nerd for dancehall and reggae music when I was like 14, 15 years old. Uh, I, a lot of it was encouraged by London and yeah. uh, the friends and family that I still have there. Every year I would go back, especially going to Notting Hill Carnival, which when we talk about culture and the power of mm. culture, I think that is the perfect example of oh, yeah. just how much it can change, the, 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 the good that culture can really do. Having, yeah. having Europe's largest street festival basically on your doorstep is, I don't think that can be even repeated anywhere. Like obviously you have Carnival yeah. in Brazil and in Trinidad and it's huge as well. Um, but seeing something like that in such a urban area, confined to like two million people trying to get into Notting Hill just to oh, yeah. really <laughs> enjoy those two days that you get is something that absolutely, it, it, it completely blew my mind when I was a teenager thinking like, this is possible. I did not know yeah. you could. So every time I go back home, I go back to Dublin and I'm thinking, why can't we do this here? Yeah. What does it need? And obviously it needs a lot of history. Yeah. <laughs> First and foremost, it needs a lot of history yeah. and it just needs that time to develop. So I realized the first thing we needed to do was we need to start running some nights. We need to start running some club nights. So we started working with different venues like the Twisted Pepper in the old days now, uh, Wigwam on Middle Abbey Street. Um, yeah. And we started running different kinds of shows that would cater to something different because we were more focused about the experience of the music when you came in. It wasn't about going out to drink. That was There was like a, a student culture that we rejected from the get-go, which was you're only interested in your studies in the daytime, and then you're only interested in a party lifestyle in the nighttime. But that was the opposite of how I felt about the music. It felt more like my study was in music, my life was in music, my culture should be in it too. And there was no time limit then on that. So I realized very quickly that that's what I wanted to do. And Amazing. eventually that uh, turned into something that I started called Sim Sima with a, with a large group of friends that was a place of inclusion and safety and feeling that you can walk into a club 
and not have to act in a particular way, that it's literally set up for you that you can walk in on a Sunday at 6 p.m. You could have a drink or you could just drink a glass of water and sit down and listen to reggae music. You didn't have to do anything, you know, somewhere yeah. that it's letting you decide that. And, and then we expanded it to include with a lot of our friends. We started running a lot of Brazilian nights as well, a wow. lot of Nigerian nights. Uh, and it was just seeing firsthand the communities that it brings together, working, making something that everyone was enjoying, like on the ground level was kind of like the, the, the real defining factor of why I do this. It felt really, really good. Something that just felt important, you know? And yeah. I think it kind of just went from there afterwards because then it started like, right, we knew our own music capabilities. We, we write music, we produce music, we play music for others. We, we do a lot of different things and it doesn't really matter what you do, what the, what the job is that day. It's, it's more about what the, what the whole project is about. And you're a little part of it each time. Sometimes you're a different part. Other times you're more of a, a, a vocal front leader type part. Other times it's literally your job is to, is to hide, is to do, do the other side of stuff. And, and that really just felt like, you know, this is how a team actually goes from something and moves up and then more people become uh, recognized within it. They understand it. They see themselves in it. They realize that it's possible to do that too. And it just, it just spreads. It's just honestly the best thing I think really makes yeah. it work. Yeah, totally, totally. That's fantastic. I, I'm getting goosebumps there. That's like kind of an exciting, <laughs> very, very organic growth. Yeah. But you kind of had to define the space yourselves, you know? Yeah. We had to say that in order to kind of get the point across of what, mm. what it could be or what it should be. And then obviously there's a lot of uh, things still to come. There's like a lot of music that we've uh, yet to release, um, which is more again on the on the showing off side of it. But <laughs> never for once thinking that whether you have a song out on the radio or not doesn't define whether what you're doing yet. So it's yeah. nice to know that we have a lot of stuff cooking, but at the same time, we're still so busy and it's it's going great. It's really going oh. great. Awesome. Well, congratulations on the story so far. That's very exciting. We'll, we'll definitely it. come back and ask you for, for what's yes, in the pipeline. I'll, I'll send some for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, and staying with yourself, Tyg, I mean, your work is arguably part of defining what Irish music is, uh, or maybe even what Irishness is in 2022. But is there anybody that you particularly admire who you think is representing a new kind of Irishness or a new kind of Irish music on the global stage? There's actually so many people. It's crazy. There Excellent. are so many people in 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 my field right now doing yeah. doing exactly that. Um, I'll I'll try and go briefly through a few that just come to my head. But fantastic. Um, to go obviously with the people that are close to me that I'm working with frequently, I have to shout out the Narrow Lane Collective for redefining that. Um, uh, Denise, Chyla, God knows, Merle, the three of them are absolutely incredible uh, musicians. Uh, wordsmiths uh, and just in really good people. Like that's the, yeah. the the best thing about it is that they fully understand what they're doing. They also take it very seriously and to heart everything that people do with them and for them and what they do for people as well. Uh, that 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 level of genuine genuineness is something that really speaks to people, especially to me, how much they care about what they do and who they do it for. 
And it's for everyone around them as well, because it's not just for them. And that's honestly probably my favorite part about redefining an Irishness is again to always show that you're you're doing it with someone else. You're there to lift them, give them a leg up at the same time, kind of putting yourself up there, but to show that if I can do that, so can you. You can do that as well. And it's totally possible. Amen. Zooming out a bit, uh, coming over to yourself, Dan, you know, you've mentioned there about the role of culture in your work as ambassador and the role of folks overseas and particularly in the USA being champions for Irish culture. To what extent do you think cultural identity is a component of Irish soft power on the global stage? Yes, I think it is um, in the sense that we're never going to be able to project hard power, nor would we want to do so, because hard power has its limitations, mm. as, as as we know, as we've seen uh, so yes. often, including at the moment uh, in Ukraine, where you've got a, a stalemate developing between uh, Russia and Ukraine, which nobody would have predicted. So when that hard power conflict was unleashed, uh, I dare say the calculations in Moscow were very different from what the reality has turned out to be. So so that brings me to soft power. What is soft power? Mm. It's... Uh, it's the sort of ability to to win people round to a set of values and images which we can share and which can bring us together as opposed to bring us into conflict. So um, what does Irish uh, culture do for Ireland? It, it makes us better known than we would otherwise be. It gives us an appeal to other countries. It allows us to, to draw people towards us uh, because they're interested in what we have to offer culturally. And for example, I remember when we were bidding for a seat on the Security Council in uh, 2020, um, I attended a, the launch of our, um, of our campaign uh, in 2019 in, in New York, and we had Bono there, we had Mary Robinson, because they had oh. international connection, international appeal, and we invited yeah. all the ambassadors of the UN member states to a U2 concert and all of them came, you know, had we invited them to a discussion of Irish foreign policy, I'm sorry, most of them would have had other things to do that evening. And I remember sitting there surrounded by all these ambassadors and there was Bruce Springsteen about 10 rows down, yeah, oh also there as a guest of U2. So oh my God. I think that's wow. the, I mean, I, look, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, that soft power can change the world. It clearly can't because sometimes, mm. you know, things go a way in which no soft power will be able to prevent it. But yeah. I do think we, we we now understand more clearly than before the importance of the values that we have, the importance of promoting an, an understanding of who we are and encouraging other countries to, to maybe follow some of the paths that we've taken. And for example, the soft power as well in, in the example of the, the peace process, the Good Friday Agreement has attracted 100%. so many people over the years since the Good Friday Agreement was arrived at, and it'll be reaching its 25th anniversary uh, next year. And that, I think, is a, it's not a model because every conflict is different, but, but there are certain principles there that you can um, use as an inspiration for, for peace efforts in other parts of the world. And I agree with what Tig said as well, is that sport is another thing that actually brings people together. And, and I, am, I am absolutely adamant that a Munster hurling final and an Irish rugby international are both expressions of Irish culture. And when people go to those events and they hear Irish people and they see how Irish people behave, even when they are in this kind of 
cauldron of excitement. They behave decently. They don't behave in an aggressive way. And that usually leaves a positive mark on people. I can't Absolutely. tell you the number of people who've said to me, oh, I, I went to see an Irish uh, hurling game at Croke Park and I was amazed to see all the fans mingling together. No no sense of having to have the police keeping them apart. And that, yeah. is, a, that is an expression. That is a story. That is, that is yeah. telling a story of who we are and, and who we want to be. And I think that has an appeal beyond our shores. And that's why it's important to us, both nationally and also in our global profile. Indeed, indeed. And you're kind of talking about the role of music to bring people together from all over the world under this shared understanding of culture. Open question. Do we think that culture can bring people together? Can it unite humanity? Can it make the world a more peaceful place? I think so. I think so. I think everyone gets a sense of pride when you can form together with another group of people over something that you're sharing, whether it's musical or sporting or or anything like that. It's obviously, it's it's hard. It takes a lot of work, but I do think that it's, it's valid. It is important. Mm. It does change images that people have in their brains about someone someone else or another place or a culture. I, I think that should never be understated. But at the same time, obviously, it takes a lot of other things as well as that to change the world. <laughs> but I definitely think it starts with that. Tyke, you mentioned earlier some exciting things in the pipeline. Uh, you told us about the origin story of Sim Simmer, but what's next on your roadmap? Well, outside of... Uh, playing more music, making more music and releasing it to forthcoming for this year and early next year uh, with a number of our friends who I may not be able to say exactly who's on what yet, but okay. I'll share that uh, soon. Uh, we're also doing uh, a number of festivals this year, such as All Together Now, where we're hosting and programming our own stage, the Sim Sima, all kinds of everything. And then outside of that, we'll be doing a few more uh, international parties, hopefully soon to come. And uh, we also have our eighth anniversary birthday on the 13th of May this month in Yamamori Tengu. So yeah, a lot to look forward to. It's, it's, it's good times. Outstanding. And we'll, we'll link to your website, of course, so uh, folks who are listening, they can get along to Yamamori, can, uh, can join you for that anniversary. Sure. And happy anniversary. That's absolutely brilliant. Thank yeah, many you. congratulations. Thank you. Many more. And Dan, you know, you've got the book out. Your road yep. is changing towards the end of the year. Talk yep. to us a bit about what's next in your own cultural journey. What's next for me is, uh, obviously, this is going to be a summer of bloom, a summer of Ulysses, as I draw on my book to um, uh, promote Ireland through the centenary of Joyce's great novel. And then in the uh, in September, I start teaching a course at New York University called Literature as History, Ireland 1880 <sighs> to 1940. So I'm going to look into that period in Irish history, but using our literature as a window, as a doorway into that fascinating time when mm. our country was transformed. So hopefully I can deliver that course uh, and get the students engaged with Ireland and give them a lifelong interest in our country. But also I, I hope that I would be able to maybe turn that course into a book at some point, uh, follow on from my from my present book uh, that's out at the moment, uh, Ulysses, A Reader's Odyssey. So that's my that's my next cultural challenge is to actually go into a classroom and actually teach uh, students for the first time in more than 40 years. It'll be a new a new challenge for me, but I look forward to it immensely. Dan, that is so exciting. My goodness, congratulations on the course. And I cannot wait to read the book that results of your uh, your exploration and the course there. So we're coming up to our last question. That's been an absolutely fascinating discussion. Thank you both so much. But I have one more question for both of you. And uh, I would like to 
First, ask Tyg to choose a track for our Tidal playlist, and then we're going to ask something different from Dan. So, Tyg, uh, we ask all of our VIP guests to put a track on our Tidal playlist. What's your track? I'm going to go selfishly picking a track from Sim Simmer Sound System. Excellent. Featuring God Knows and Denise Chyla. Uh, the song is called Man Like Me. And I think the words will speak for themselves and then hopefully you enjoy the music too, made by us. 100%. And Denise Chyla, yes, what a superstar. What an absolute global superstar. Uh, That's yeah. brilliant. But kudos for that. Thank you so much, Tyg. And Dan, coming over to yourself, because we have you here and because, you know, you are the, the god of poetry online and you've published a poem every day on your social media for many, many years, we would like to invite you to read a poem for our listeners. Yes, I'm going to read a poem that... Um is often read and quoted from by many politicians, including the, the world's biggest fan of Irish poetry, President Joe Biden, awesome. who used this poem during his campaign because it somehow captured some of the themes he was trying to push forward and, and present to the American public. And it's called Seamus Heaney's From the Cure Troy. Yes. <sighs> Human wow. beings suffer. They torture one another. They get hurt and get hard. No poem or play or song can fully right a wrong inflicted or endured. History says, don't hope on this side of the grave. But then, once in a lifetime, the longed-for tidal wave of justice can rise up and hope and history rhyme. So hope for a great sea change on the far side of revenge. Believe that a farther shore is reachable from here. Believe in miracles and cures and healing wells. Call miracles self-healing, the utter self-revealing double take of feeling. If there's fire on the mountain and lightning and storm and a God speaks from the sky, that means someone is hearing the outcry and the birth cry of new life at its term. It means once in a lifetime, that justice can rise up and hope and history rhyme. Wow. Come on. Come on. Boom, boom, boom. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you. Absolutely stunning. What, what a reading. And um, I am going to add a little track myself yes. out of respect to the da. It's an, a classic from the 1979 album After Hours by the Bothy Band. And the track is called Farewell to Aaron. It just gives me goosebumps. <laughs> I listened to it as a kid and I still love it today. Love so listen, thank you so much both for joining us on the Audio Talks podcast. Dan Mulhall. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. And Tyke Byrne from Sim Simmer. Thank you very much, Ashin. It was a pleasure. Absolute pleasure to have you both here. Listeners, don't forget to subscribe, comment and share with your friends and family. If you're enjoying the Audio Talks series of podcasts, why not head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a nice review. It really does mean a lot and it helps new listeners to know about the amazing guests like Dan and Tyg that we talk to in every episode. For more exclusive content, some behind the scenes goodies and maybe even some competitions, connect with us on Instagram. You can find us at Audio Talks Podcast. We'll be back soon for some more fascinating audio talks. See you next time.